Well, good morning, church. It's so good to see you out there. Uh, my name is Stephen. I have the privilege of serving as the Independence Campus Pastor. Uh, this is my wife, Kelsey, and these are some of our best friends, uh, Josh and Megan Ingold. Uh, they also serve on our Independence uh, team, leadership team out there. And hey, we just wanna take a few minutes and uh, share a story with you. Uh, just to give you some context behind uh, this story, uh, Josh and Megan, they're actually our group leaders. And uh, one night we were sitting in group and we were just kind of talking about our salvation experiences and we were talking to a few of our, our members there and they were sharing. Uh, so that kind of sets the context uh, behind this story. And Josh, something kind of happened in y'all's life. So I want you to kind of share some of that. Yeah, so there was a, uh, a tragic incident that happened with a close family friend of ours. And it really got me thinking, I never had a spiritual conversation with that individual. Um, and Megan and I had been married for almost nine years at the time. And I got to asking to myself, what would happen to Megan if, if something were to happen to her? So I really kind of humbled myself and asked her, hey, Megan, have you ever had that moment in your life where you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? And at that point, I had said, no, I have not. <laughs> so I just asked her, I said, well, is there anything that would prevent you from having that, converse, for having that uh, conversation with Christ tonight? Is there, is there anything that would prevent you from accepting the Lord? And she said, well, no, I've just never done it. So we pulled out the MySharePal app and we just went through it. And right there in our bedroom, uh, Megan accepted Christ. That's awesome. And that's great. Yeah, let's celebrate that for sure. Well, and I know for us, we had known you guys a little bit over a year, I think, at that point. And you guys had been going to church for several years here. And um, you've been giving, you've been serving. Um, you have an amazing story that we can't get into about how the Lord healed you from breast cancer. Um, so you're doing all the things that made it look like you were living, you know, your next steps and living a Christian walk. So why would you say that you were doing those things? What motivated you at that time? Yeah. So um, as, as a child, I had, I had been sprinkled, I had been baptized, um, and on the outside, I was, I was doing all of the things. I, I was doing the Bible studies, I, I was in community group, um, I was involved in my MOPS group, um, but I had never stopped to really accept Christ into my life. And that's kind of crazy, honestly, like you're serving and you're in group and all of these different things, but yet you hadn't taken that first step. Uh, of obedience and, and accepting Christ and, and believing that Christ died on the cross for your sins. And here you are now, and Josh asked you that question, right? Hey, Meg, what would happen to you if you were to die today, right? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah, and I had to ask myself, if I can't have this conversation with my wife, the person that's closest to me, then how can I have this conversation with a complete stranger, with someone I don't know, in order to share my faith and share the gospel with them? So I really had to step back and say, okay, Lord, I hear what you're telling me to do. I need to ask my wife this question. So really, has anything changed like, in your life, like when you accepted Christ, to kind of now? Um, I mean, I think that um, Second Ephesians um, 8, 9 is just a great reminder to our everyday lives that we're saved um, through God's grace, not by our works. So we can do all of the things. We can check off all the boxes, but there may be many of you guys sitting out in the audience today that are just like me. Um, we're, we're trying to fill, fill those voids, but when in reality, we need, we need to ask God into our lives. We, we need to ask him for that, for that salvation and, and to forgive us for our sins. That's so true. And, you know, through trials, uh, not just in your life, but in a, in a family's life that you guys knew, it led you to humble yourselves, Josh, you specifically, to 
ask your wife of nine years about her salvation experience. And Meg, it would have been really easy for you to just tell Josh, because you're doing A, B, C, and D like Christians do, to say, oh yeah, for sure. But, but you hadn't. So man, I am so pumped for you. So what would you say to somebody who was sitting out here today that was that's maybe in the boat that you were in before? Yeah, um, I mean, I kind of touched base on it earlier. I think that if you're sitting here today and you're, you're, you might be in my shoes, um, if you are trying to fill, um, fill all the boxes with, with staying busy, um, maybe serving in so many areas that you think you should be serving in or just putting too many hats in too many places, maybe you just really need to take the time um, to, to invite God into your heart and into your life today. That's good, that's good. Hey, thank you guys so much for letting us share this story uh, with you. Can you give it up for Josh and Megan this morning? Awesome. Thank you, Megan, for sharing your story today. First Peter chapter one is our series we're in. And Peter's gonna talk about that very question, have you been born again? And I'm so thankful for Megan, her honesty. You know, sometimes goodness is misunderstood for godliness. I mean, a good person must be a Christian, but not always. And, and I want you to examine yourself today in that manner. In fact, I'm convinced this is the meaning of 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. The apostle Paul is telling us we ought to have times of self-examination. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter is coming out of this discussion on trials and trials. Tribulations. There's something about a tribulation that causes a little self-introspection. And that is why over the last year, during COVID, during this pandemic, we've seen so many people come to faith in Christ. Because sometimes faith is found in the fire. Other times our faith is forged in the fire. And I'm so thankful for Megan because she represents, I'm convinced, so many people sitting in church this morning on a Sunday morning in churches all over America who've been baptized but never born again. People that profess Christ but don't truly possess Christ. There are those who proclaim they're a Christian but they've never become, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, a new creation. And that, you see, is what Paul's challenging each of us to do, is have a time of self-examination to say whether I really am a Christian. Now this isn't meaning we follow each other around and go, yeah, I don't think so-and-so saved. I don't think, I, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this message. No, no, what Paul's saying is we need to do this for ourselves, not others, but for ourselves. Have a time of self-examination. Am I really a Christian? Do I really know for sure my destination? And what the Apostle Peter is going to talk about today is the idea of being born again. Did you know that there's only one kind of Christian? It is a born again Christian. Uh, somebody told me recently that they don't get born again in their church. That's a Baptist thing. I want you to know, being born again is not a Baptist thing. It's a Bible thing. In fact, it's a Jesus thing. See, it has nothing to do with your denomination. I had somebody tell me one time, we don't get saved in my church. That, that we don't even talk about getting saved. That's a Baptist saying. Now, uh, Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, that's a Bible thing. See, there's only one kind of Christian. Those that have been born, again, has nothing to do with your denomination. You might be a Baptist, uh, you might be a Presbyterian, you might be a Lutheran, you might be a Catholic or a Charismatic, but if you're a Christian, it's because you've been born again. 
And this is what Peter is now coming out of this discussion on trials and tribulation. And he wants us to see that in the middle of tribulation, it should cause some self-examination to examine this question, have I really been born again? Am I really a Christian? This is what it says in 1 Peter 1.23. We're going to start at the end and kind of work our way back this morning. It says this, having been born again, there it is. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God who lives and abides forever. Now think about what Peter is saying this morning. The apostle Peter, one of Jesus' 12, is now 30 years after the resurrection and the ascension. He knows he's just a year or two away from his impending death. He's going to be martyred. And in essence, he's writing his, his uh, epitaph. He's writing his last words of wisdom to the church of God, you and I, an open letter to every generation of Christians. And 2,000 years later, we're studying this letter and we're gonna examine today this question, have I been born again, really? Like Megan, who punched all the boxes, who kept all the lists, only to discover, you know, I've never truly asked Jesus to forgive my sin and asked him to enter in. I've been doing religion, but that is far different than stepping into redemption. And this is what Peter's now talking about. Listen, we've been born again as Christians, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God who lives and abides forever. What does this mean? Listen carefully. You were born the first time of seed corrupted by sin. And what Peter's teaching is you must be born again of Christ's seed to become like him. Remember Adam, there are two Adams on which all human history hinges, two men on which all of human history hinges. There's the first Adam, you can read about him in Genesis 1 through 3, but then there's the one called the last Adam or the second Adam. Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, is called the last Adam. And remember, Adam was created in the image and likeness of God. Genesis 1, 26, let us create man in our image, in our likeness. And then Adam was given a commission by God to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What was Adam to do? He was to fill the earth with beings, his children, his posterity, all of humanity that would all bear the image of God. He was not to reproduce the image of himself, but rather the image of God. He'd been created in the image and likeness of God. But what happened when Adam sinned? Remember, God told Adam, don't eat of that tree, and the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And when Adam sinned, he died spiritually. And so what happened was that seed was corrupted by sin. He was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now listen, he was to take his seed into the intimacy with his bride Eve and reproduce a kingdom and a race of beings that would all bear the image of God, to be just like God, holy, to live eternally, to live with immortality, but that seed that was meant to give life could now only give death. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Romans 5 and verse 12, as by one man's sin, Adam, death entered the world. So death passed on all men for all have sinned. You see, Adam was to take his seed and reproduce immortality, but instead that seed can now only bring death. And that is why you came into this world physically alive, but spiritually dead. And that is why Peter said, you must be born again. Your first birth is not enough to enter in to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, this is why, look, if you look at my children, they're all adults now in their 20s, but if you look at them, even my daughter, I don't know if she'll be happy to hear me say this or not, but even my daughter, 
has somewhat the image of her father. Now, she has long, beautiful blonde hair. I gave her all I have. But if you see my three children, you go, yeah, they look a lot like Pastor Phil. I mean, I can see the, Phil's image in them. Why? Because they're born of my seed. See, that's the nature of seed. It carries the DNA. It's, it's why you have the physical character qualities you have. But listen carefully. Not only did my children get their blonde hair and blue eyes from their father, and yes, Krista had something to do with that too, not to be left out. All right. But listen carefully, they not only got their character qualities physically from the seed of their father, but spiritually from the seed of their father. Because just like their father before them, and his father before him, and his father before him, that seed that was meant to give life and mortality eternally can now only bring death. You are destined to die the moment you're born physically. This is why you need a second birth. This is why you must be born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, by the word of God who lives and abides forever. Now, there's the seed of God's word that gives us eternal life. What is God's word? God's word is God's son. John 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, even in the garden, even when Adam sinned and he brought a death sentence on all men and all women for every generation, God had a plan of redemption that he would bring forth his seed, the seed of his son, it says in Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. God is here speaking to the serpent, to Satan, who had deceived Eve. I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your seed, notice Satan has seed, don't have time to talk about why today. A lot of you couldn't handle the truth if I told you. What is seed for? Seed is for what? Procreation, reproduction, replication. Now check this out. I'll put enmity between your seed and her seed. Notice seed is capitalized because that seed is a person. I'll put enmity between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the prophecy, this is the promise that God one day was gonna bring a virgin-born savior, a virgin-born redeemer, because you understand, you cannot physically, biologically be born of the seed of the woman. The woman doesn't carry the seed. Biologically, the man carries the seed. And so God is promising the seed of the woman would one day score the knockout punch on the serpent. He would crush the serpent's head. Yes, he temporarily would be crucified and it'd be a temporary victory. The serpent would bruise his heel. But three days later, he would rise from the dead. He'd break the curse of sin for all men and all women and he would crush the head of the serpent. This virgin-born savior, now why? Did he have to be born of a virgin? And that's exactly what's being implied here in Genesis 3.15. God would bring forth his seed of the woman. Uh, Matthew 1.18 says, Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Check this out. God bypassed Adam's sin through the miraculous conception. 
Had Jesus had an earthly father, he would have been born with man's seed, meaning he would have had man's sin. He would have been like any other man, but Jesus was fully man, fully humanity, yet he was also fully deity. What that means is he had one nature that was holy, and check this out, as a child of God, you've been born of that seed. You've been born again of incorruptible seed, and that is why Jesus can promise eternal life. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. Because we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, that was the seed of your earthly father, but of incorruptible seed, the seed of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You need more than a physical birth. What you need is a spiritual birth. It's more than religion, keeping the list of things to do. We're talking about redemption. And so I'll ask you again this question, have a time of self-examination. Have you been born again? Has there been a moment in your life that you truly, by faith, received him? And it's what Jesus was referring to as the new birth. Now, Peter, of all the apostles, is the only apostle that would pick up on this concept, this term of the new birth, of being born again. In all probability, Peter, as he's writing this letter, is remembering a conversation that he overheard with Jesus and a religious man named Nicodemus 30 years before. And it was 30 years earlier that this conversation takes place between Jesus and Nicodemus. Here it is in John 3 and verse 1. It says this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, if you don't know who the Pharisees were, think of the churchiest of the churchiest of the churchiest people you have ever met. I mean, we're talking about a church person. I mean, we're talking about a rule keeper, and understand, every faith tradition, every denomination has this external, superficial metric of spirituality. This was Nicodemus. He was keeping the list and all the things to do. And just like Megan was keeping the list. I mean, that's religion. Do this, do this, do this, do this. That's what makes me a Christian. But I want you to notice, it doesn't matter the faith tradition you come from, the denomination you've been a part of, it always kind of morphs into this external superficial metric of being a Christian. Like my wife was raised in a tradition. This is what she was taught. She was baptized as a baby. That's what made her a Christian. And then in middle school, she went through confirmation. She memorized some 200 Bible verses, memorized the catechism, and then you were good to go. I mean, that's what she was taught. Now, how many kids have been baptized as a baby, memorized the catechism, went through baptism, uh, went through confirmation, but never got born again? See, it was all academic. It was all just intellectual pursuit. Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says this. It says that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How do you do this? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe with your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For at the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Uh, what is Paul teaching? He's teaching, listen, you don't believe with the head unto salvation. It's believing with the heart. Salvation is a matter of the heart. It's not simply intellectually acknowledging, yeah, Jesus died for my sin and rose again. You know what it says in James chapter two? Even the demons believe and tremble. Because when you 
give your life to Jesus and you trust in him and you're born again, it's about a matter of the heart. You give your heart away to him. The heart is the control center of one's life. The heart is where you make your decisions. The heart is where you rule your life. What you're saying is, Jesus, you have a right to rule my life and your rule in my life is always right. Now, in my faith tradition, it was this. Ask Jesus into your heart. How many children have asked Jesus into their heart, not even knowing what that means, but didn't get born again? By the way, where in the Bible does it even say to ask Jesus into your heart? Go ahead, give it a shot. It it, it doesn't say that at all. Yet yet I was taught as a six-year-old little boy, ask Jesus into your heart, now you get to go to heaven. See, every faith tradition has this kind of external, superficial definition of what it means to be a Christian. How many kids ask Jesus into their heart, and then somebody told them, don't you ever doubt your salvation. If you ever doubt, that's just the devil trying to make you doubt, because you asked Jesus into your heart. And I want you to see that this was Nicodemus. Nicodemus kept all the lists. He kept all the rules. He comes to Jesus by night. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you keep all the lists and all the rules and all the things to do. Oh, you pass the eye test, but that is not enough. You must be born again. He says this, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now a lot of people think water here speaks of baptism, like you have to be baptized to go to heaven. This is not at all what Jesus is teaching. He's gonna define in the very next verse what he means in this verse. You must be born of water and of the spirit. Look what he says. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. What happens when you were born physically as a baby? A woman's water breaks. It's speaking of your physical birth, that which is born of water and that which is born of spirit. The water is flesh and the spirit is something far different. The spirit life and the spirit birth is when at that moment you receive the Son of God, you received in the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God gives life to your spirit that was dead. And that is the moment Jesus is talking about where you're now born again. You have the second birth. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, twice in the matter of seven verses, Jesus says this, you must be born again. Do you think it's important? I mean, if Jesus says something one time, it's important. But if he says it twice in the space of seven verses, you better pay attention. And so I'm gonna ask you that question again. Have you been born again? Has there been a moment in your life, like Megan, where your eyes were open and you realized, wait a minute, I've done all the right things, but it's not doing these right things that will get me into heaven. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so if you've been born again, now you've entered into a new life with him. 
It says this in 1 Peter 1.17, if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work. You know what he's saying here? There's no exceptions. Like it doesn't matter how good a person you are, how awesome a person as you are. God is not a respecter of persons. There's no partiality with God. There are no exemptions, no exceptions. You must be born again. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He says, conduct yourselves, if indeed you've been born again, throughout the time of your stay here in fear. He means the time you're on this earth, this earth is not your final place, it's just your your temporary home, you're just passing through. And while you're here, conduct your life with fear, meaning the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is putting God in his proper place in your life. Like, Jesus, you have a right to rule my life, and your rule in my life is always right. That is the person living in the fear of the Lord. You put God on the proper place, on the throne of your life. The fear of the Lord is when you realize how terrifying life would be and your eternal destiny apart from Jesus and his mercy. Conduct your life in the fear of the Lord knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. All the money Jeff Bezos has will not buy him one day in heaven. The billions of dollars Bill Gates has will mean nothing to him five seconds after he dies. See, you are not redeemed with all the silver and all the gold of this world, nor are you redeemed based on the tradition of your fathers. The aimless conduct of empty religion has no hope of bringing about your redemption, but rather you are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, I told you two weeks ago, because Peter was the apostle to the Jews, and he's writing specifically to these first century followers of the Jewish Messiah coming out of Judaism. There are so many images here that are specifically Jewish in nature. This is an image of the Passover lamb a lamb that was to be without spot or blemish. And of course, the Passover lamb was a picture of the lamb of God. John 1, behold, the lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sins of the world. Every single year, the Jews, century after century, would celebrate the Passover. Exodus chapter 12, the night before they were redeemed from Egyptian tyranny and Egyptian slavery, God instituted the Passover and told the Jews, I want you to take a lamb, a male lamb without spot or with without blemish because it was a picture of Jesus Christ, a male lamb without spot or without blemish. He was absolutely sinless and they were to take the blood of that lamb and they were to put the blood of that lamb on the doorposts of their home and they were commemorating thereafter the night that Jesus redeemed them from Egyptian captivity and Egyptian tyranny. God was sending a death angel over the land of Pharaoh, a death angel over the land of Egypt. But God told the Hebrews, when I see the blood of the lamb, I will pass over you and death will not come to your home. And do you understand Peter is saying that Jesus is our Passover lamb, that we were born in sin. That means we had one destination. It was to die physically and then die eternally. But because Jesus shed his blood at Calvary, we now can have life everlasting. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God is eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed, check this out, was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. This is mind-blowing, mind-boggling. God in his infinite wisdom, remember God is omniscient, that means he's all-knowing, that means he's never been surprised by anything. He's not up in heaven biting his nails going, oh, I didn't see that coming. No, he knew what would happen. God creates a world in perfection. He creates Adam to be the father of this race of image bearers, knowing ahead of time that Adam would sin and with sin would come suffering. He gave Adam a choice. Why is that? Because we were made for relationship, relationship with God. And even God cannot have relationship with robots. Love that's not freely given isn't love. Worship that's not freely given isn't worship. He gives Adam a choice, knowing ahead of time that Adam would choose sin, and with sin, it would wreak havoc on all of creation. But God had a plan, even then, to redeem all of creation and restore all that is. And one day, paradise lost is going to be paradise regained. It was foreordained before the foundation of the world. This means the new birth was always God's plan even before the world began. Even before there was creation, God had a plan of redemption. Even before the earth's foundation, God had a plan and it was Jesus that we would be born again of this seed, the seed of Genesis 3.15. Revelation 13.8, it says Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Do you understand what this means? Even before you were born, Jesus had died for your sin. Even before you ever sinned, Jesus had become your sacrifice for sin. God saw you in eternity past. He knew you in eternity past. And even in eternity past, Jesus had already died for your sin. It was already foreordained. And this, you see, is where Peter begins this letter. I told you a couple weeks ago, we're gonna come back to 1 Peter chapter one and verse two, because Peter here is speaking of the foreknowledge of God, and he has foreordained the redemption made possible through the Son of God. 1 Peter 1, 2, it says this. He's writing to you and me, the elect, according to what? The foreknowledge of God the Father. I want you to notice something. Our election, or the fact that we've been chosen, is by the foreknowledge of God. Let let me ask you, church, do you choose God, or did God choose you? Yes. That's the answer. Yeah. Did, Did you elect God, or did God elect you? Everybody do like this. Because this is the big debate theologically, you understand that, right? Uh, You have John Calvin and Jacob Arminius. These were 16th century European theologians. John Calvin said, we have no free will. We are chosen completely alone of God's free will. Uh, Kind of this arbitrary uh, choosing some for salvation, choosing others for damnation. And and then over here you had uh, Arminianism. Jacob Arminius said, it's all our free will. We can freely come to God and we can freely leave anytime we want, completely of our own free will. I did a message on this about two years ago in our Ephesians series. Ephesians chapter one, we called it Gotcha. That was the series. You want to take a deeper dive, I think week two of the Gotcha series, I really dissected this theology. 
And what I said at the time was, it's not simply A, Arminianism, where it's all free will, and it's not simply C, Calvinism, where there's no free will. There's a B. And no, it doesn't stand for balanced. It stands for the Bible. Don't impose your theological system onto the text. This is what people do all the time. Just let the text form your theology, not the other way around. And what is Peter saying? We were elected or chosen by God for salvation, how? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, meaning in eternity past, he foreknew who would choose him when they had the opportunity to choose him, and based on that foreknowledge, he chose them. Understand, you cannot be saved apart from God's grace. It's not exclusively your free will, no. Jesus said, no one comes to me except my Father in heaven, draw them. What does that mean? It means you cannot come to Jesus whenever you want, however you want. You can only come to him when the Holy Spirit of God opens the window of opportunity, for by grace are you saved through faith. And until God gives you the grace to exercise faith, you cannot be saved, you cannot come to him. But listen very carefully. Grace does not make you believe. Grace simply gives you the ability to believe, apart from which you could not believe. See, there's God's part, but there is still your part. No one will ever stand before God on that day of judgment, and one day we all will, and no one will ever been able to say, God, I would have come to you if you just would have chosen me. Really, it's your fault I'm going to hell. Because if I would have been one of the elect, I would have believed. No, no, that's not going to happen at all. Romans 1.20, all will be without excuse. Today, you are under the sound of the word of God. You are under the sound of the spirit of God. The spirit of God is wooing you to salvation. And you will be accountable one day for what you hear. You'll be accountable to the gospel. God is choosing you. The question is, will you choose him too? See, God knows all the outcomes in his foreknowledge, but he has not predestined all the outcomes. But he foreknows all the outcomes. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. What you have here is a picture of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and how all three members of that Trinity, the Godhead, work in the sanctification and the salvation of men and women. You are elected by God the Father. You are sanctified by God the Spirit, and you are justified by God the Son. The blood of God's Son redeems you from sin's penalty, and then the Spirit of God separates you from that sin so that now you can become like Him. And that is what Peter is now talking about. We are born again to bear His image and become like Him. In the same way, my children are born of my seed, and in some way, they are the image of their Father. You are born again of Christ's seed. For this very same reason, to bear the image of God your Father. See, Adam was created with the image of God. Sin distorted that image in us all. But you get back through Jesus all that Adam lost in the garden. You get back the title, child of God. You get back the image of God. Now you have a body, a soul, and a spirit. You now have the triune image of God your Father so that you can now become like him. Your spirit has now been made alive. That's what God calls being born again, to become like him. 
And so the question I have for you today is, are you becoming like him? What is the evidence of your salvation? Listen very carefully. Romans 8, 29, it says this, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I want you to notice something. Foreknowledge and predestination are not the same thing. Whom he foreknew, that's your election, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, meaning he has not predestined you to salvation, though he knows ahead of time who would come to faith and salvation being born again. And once you do, then now you're predestined to become like him, meaning as a child of God, you can come kicking and screaming and clawing, or you can come in full cooperation with the Spirit, but one day, one way or another, you're gonna be like Jesus, and you will not be able to stop it. Uh, A week ago at this time, I was coming back from a compassion trip Compassion International, I'd like to tell you that I was suffering for Jesus somewhere in the middle of the Amazon, but that, that would not be true. So I'm, I'm just gonna be honest with you. So Compassion flew a bunch of pastors up to the Lake of the Woods to go fishing for the week, and I, it was foreordained. It's predestined. I just had to go, had no choice. It was a great fellowship, but a week ago at this time, I'm uh, sitting in the Minneapolis airport waiting to fly home. Look at it this way, this is how I look at it. Nobody made me get on that plane. I got on that plane of my own free will. There's your election, there's your salvation, what the Bible calls justification. The moment you put your faith in Christ to forgive your sin, all your sins are forgiven. You're delivered from sin's penalty. Justification, Romans 8 and verse 30. Justification in the eyes of God is just as if I'd never sinned. All right, but wait a minute. Once I got on the plane of my own free will, it was predestined where that plane was going. I had no choice. The destination was fixed ahead of time. See, that's your sanctification. It's fixed ahead of time. You're going to become like Christ. The goal of this life is to become as much like him here, and there's coming a day that you'll stand before him there, and God will finish there whatever he could not do here. See, that's the trials of life, the fires of life. This is what Peter said in week one. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's begotten us again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance undefiled, incorruptible, that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of faith ready to be revealed in the last time in this you greatly rejoice though now if need be you are grieved through various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it be tried by fire may be found to praise and honor and glory Jesus Christ at his appearing God is now in the tribulations of life the fires of life burning off the impurities of your faith like gold purified is purified in the fire. There's gonna come a day you're gonna be at the judgment seat of Christ and guess what, 1 Corinthians chapter three, your life will pass through the fire and whatever God doesn't burn off here, he's gonna burn off there and you're gonna be just like Christ. 1 Peter 1.15, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it's written, be holy for I am holy. Can I tell you what is missing from modern Christianity? 
holiness. The pursuit of holiness. The theme of 1 Peter is humility. The more you become like Christ, the more you're going to walk in humility. What is humility? Humility is simply recognizing I'm desperate for God. I deeply, deeply need God. Church, I'll tell you, after 30 years of following Jesus, I need him more today than ever. I'm more desperate for him than ever. But not only is it a life of humility, it's a life that is holy. Now it's not that in this life you'll ever become sinless, but I'll promise if you're becoming like Christ, you're going to sin less, and less, and less. It is impossible to picture a holy, sinless Christ being followed by a band of unholy, sinful followers. And some of us are deceiving ourselves, even though we're living in sin. Now listen, it's not that you won't struggle with sin, I still struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin, but there's a difference between struggling against sin and reveling in sin. See, if you're able to revel in sin and live a lifestyle of sin, it could be, because you've never been born again, you don't have Christ's seed living within you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man or any woman is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Basically what that means is that if you still are what you were, you probably ain't. I mean, after 25 years, if your life hasn't changed, if you haven't become more conformed to the image of his son, it could be that you really today, like Megan, need to become like him. And for some of us, you're thinking, well, that's not me. I'm, I mean, I'm a good person. Listen, Megan was a good person. Nobody externally would have said, oh, Megan can't be a Christian. See, there are two kinds of people, and it can be deceived on both extremes. Either I'm such a good person, I have to be going to heaven, or I'm such a horrible person, but I'm still going to heaven because I asked Jesus into my heart when I was six. And either way, you need to be born again. Today is the day. And the Spirit of God is wooing you. He's trying to warn you by wooing you. Now, if you're a new Christian, it's not unusual for new Christians, new believers, you've just had the new birth, to really struggle with, man, am I really saved? Did I really mean that? So I planted seed a few weeks ago in my garden, and these little seedlings came up. This is going to be cantaloupe. I like growing melons, okay? What is the nature of seed? Seed eventually bears fruit. These little seedlings aren't gonna bear fruit. If you're a baby Christian, a baby believer, you might not have yet the fruit of a Christian. Seedlings don't bear fruit, but seedlings grow, and eventually, these seedlings will mature and bear fruit. If you're a little seedling Christian, you've just come to faith, it's okay. God doesn't have the same expectation for you as he does for another. I mean, I've had kids. I expected something different out of my 12-year-old than I did my two-year-old. And I certainly expect something different now out of my 20-year-olds than I did when they were 12. 
See, it's a process of growth. Your life changes gradually. That's called sanctification. But if you've been following Jesus for the last 25 years and your life hasn't changed, you need to examine. Examine yourself whether you're in the faith. Examine yourself, Paul says, whether you're disqualified. Don't live in self-deception. Listen very carefully. Becoming like Christ results in a heart of humility, a life lived holy, and loving others fervently. And this is what Peter now says. This is the fruit of a transformed life who through him believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. All of a sudden you're starting to live like Christ, which means loving like Christ. A life lived selflessly. The Son of Man, Jesus said, came not to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. All of a sudden, you're not living for self, the self-life. You're living for others. That's the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Genuine love, sincere love of one another. Not a, not a false love, a pretense love. A love that is conditional. If you do this for me, I'll do this for you. That is the world's love. A love truly that is unconditional. A love that is truly sacrificial. And I can't begin to tell you how this would revolutionize all of our relationships, including the body of Christ. I'd only been pastoring about a year. I asked a missionary that came off the field for furlough. He was here for a year. I asked him, so what is the number one reason missionaries come off the mission field permanently? I thought he'd say, well, finances, or I thought he'd say maybe culture shock. I was shocked by what he said. The number one reason he said Christian missionaries come off the foreign field is they can't get along with other missionaries. I couldn't believe it at the time. 20 years later, totally believe it. Can I tell you the hardest part about being a pastor? It's just getting Christians to play well together in the same sandbox. I mean, seriously. Just getting Christians to act like Christians. So how are you loving people? How well are you loving people? So much of what goes on in your fussing and fighting is all about me, mine, when it's supposed to be his, he, not we. That's why Peter says, love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. I was pulling out of my driveway this morning, and I looked over to admire my rose garden in full bloom. That's right, Pastor Phil likes roses. I'm a flower child. <laughs> Beautiful, full bloom, gorgeous. But guess what? The bloom is only for a season. It won't be long, the petals will fall away. What Peter's saying, that's a picture of your life. Your life will bloom for a season. Right now you may be in full bloom. Could be you're in the twilight of your bloom. It does not matter. One day our life will bloom and then the life will fade away. He goes on to say, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Church, today I have preached the gospel to you. 
what will you do? This is my grandpa. His name is L.T. Hopper. It's hard to believe that he will have been in heaven 30 years this month on the 21st. He died at the age of 79, was born again at the age of 72. Gave his life to Jesus in the 11th hour. He'd gone to the hospital for a gallbladder surgery, Springfield Hospital, Southern Missouri. An old country preacher showed up while he was in that hospital preparing for surgery. The old country preacher asked my grandpa, LT, have you ever been born again? My grandpa said, no preacher, I don't think that I have. Now understand, my granddad was a lot like Megan. He would have passed the eye test. He checked all the boxes, church going man, all of his life, he was a good man. But did you know that good people go to hell? Because good is not the standard of heaven. And it was there in that hospital bed that he prayed to receive Jesus Christ and he was born again. You know what he said? He almost did that 40 years earlier as a young man. He felt the call of God but resisted the call of God. He said, I did not feel that or sense that for 40 years. Do you understand? God gave him one last opportunity. It's by the grace of God that you come to him. If God is giving you the grace today, don't delay. Please, today is the day. God does not owe you another opportunity. By the grace of God, he gave my grandpa one more chance. He went back home to that country church to his pastor, not the other guy, his pastor, the pastor that had pastored him for years and years and years and years. And this pastor had heard about what happened in the hospital, how my grandpa had prayed and given life to Jesus. And I remember my grandpa told this story. His preacher looked at him and says, LT, I just assumed you'd already done that. You know what my grandpa said? Well, preacher, I guess you never asked. I have never forgotten that story. As your preacher, I will never be guilty of not asking or assuming that you know Jesus just because you come to our church. The church is filled with unsaved church members. Today, there's somebody here like Megan, somebody sitting at home watching this service online, somebody at Blue Springs or Independence right now, the Spirit of God is calling you. The only question is, will you come? Today is the day to make certain of your salvation. I'll ask you one last time, have you been born again? Would you bow with me right now? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Join us there in your living room if you're watching online. You already know who you are. The Spirit of God has already revealed it to you. And right where you sit, right where you are, wherever that is, you can pray with me today. And by faith, receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, calling on his name to forgive your sin. And if you're not certain today of your destination, right now, would you pray? 
pray this with me? Dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned. Pray this. A prayer of faith. God will hear your prayer. He'll forgive your sin. Jesus, I know that I've sinned. And I cannot get to heaven apart from you. But I believe you died for my sin, that you rose again. And by faith today, I receive you as my Savior. I surrender to you as my Lord. I want to be born again, born of your seed. Come into my life. Change me from within. In Jesus' name. And if indeed you're a born-again child of God, you have every reason now to profess your faith through the Lord's Supper. I hope you got one of these when you came in. Today we're going to take communion. You might know it as communion. We call it the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted this the night before his death as a way to commemorate the sacrifice of the Son of God, lest we ever forget. This doesn't save you. This doesn't make you a Christian. It's not by your works, but rather Christ's work. You don't receive him by receiving this bread. It's a way to remember him and publicly profess your faith in him. There's a little cellophane piece on top. Don't grab the cardboard, grab the cellophane. These are COVID approved communion cups. The bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Unleavened bread speaks of sinlessness and Jesus was the sinless bread of life that was about to be beaten and broken on our behalf. He said, take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And Jesus, thank you that you gave your body to be broken and bruised and bloody. You were flogged to buy our freedom. You were pierced to ease our pain. And by your stripes we're healed. Then Jesus took the cup. And throughout scripture, the cup of wine, or the fruit of the vine, is a picture of blood. As our Passover lamb, Jesus would shed his blood and as the Jews would put that blood on the doorposts of their home, that pictures the blood applied to our hearts. And when God sees the blood, he passes over your sin. He says, I see it no more. He said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's stand and let's sing.
the joy of sweet redemption, amen? Knowing Jesus, there's nothing like it. I hope that you do. If you prayed with me just now, it is so important that you take your next step. Uh, there's a next steps card. We need to know what you did. We wanna partner with you and help you start to grow and walk this out. And if you'll take that card to the next steps desk, maybe meet somebody right here at this altar. We have a prayer team here. Uh, we'll help you do that. We love you very much. Hope you have a super blessed Sunday. God bless you. God go with you.